should. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. Uh, we're excited to be back. We've had a little bit of a hiatus, so we appreciate you guys putting up with us during uh, Brenna's makeshift filler time space. Although, I have heard from some people that maybe the regular podcast is just a makeshift filler time space. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't, I don't well, know. Yeah, it's nice to be back. The people like it, I think, so... You're tracking those numbers? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How are our subscribers? Doesn't, really has, good. doesn't Brenna yeah. feel just checked out? Really good. Right now she does. No, yeah. oh, I'm not. But <laughs> she might be doing research that we just we don't realize what she's doing there. But yeah. Right okay. now? Right, no, right just, now. No, you know, generally speaking. Did you? No. <laughs> so I'm a homeowner now. Listen. Now I don't have time to do the podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm a one woman marketing department. That's true. But we're hiring someone. She starts March 13th. Officially. Officially. Oh, good. oh that's nice. Well, that's so, soon. You're going to get yes. help soon. So. That's great. Good. So she, <laughs> I, I so, so she'll be more engaged next time for oh, you, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, either that or she'll start bossing us around even more. Yeah. Well, you know, I just can't make you happy, can I? No. <laughs> Sooner you realize that. I, oh, I've accepted it. <laughs> I've accepted it. You know the best if I send out a marketing email? The absolute best response that I can get mm-hmm. from Rick is strong work, Brenna, and nothing uh. else, <laughs> because that means that he's read this, whatever I sent several times, and he can't find anything wrong with it, <laughs> and he has nothing else to say except strong work, Brenna. It's the highest compliment. Oh, well, thank you. And I love it. I didn't mean anything malicious by it. No, I, mean I know. It. Yeah. No, I know. Oh. It's just no. What I'm saying. Other is, emails, he's had many things to say exactly. or comment about. If I, he usually, just I, usually don't, I usually don't have many things to say. I usually have like one very <laughs> pointed, and it's usually not a bit to Brenna. No, it's one very pointed thing that spirals. But <laughs> again, those just strong work, Brenna. Makes you feel good. Makes me feel good. So, Danny, I know the you have something you want to bring the listeners' attention today. Yeah, I thought a a good topic to talk about is the gallery test. So I gave a recent lecture at the Jacksonville Exchange Club after a nice invite from one of my patients, um, and I talked about cancer screening. Did you see his chest puff up a little bit? Well, you know. I mean, just get a little dirt on your shoulder, buddy. (laughs) Let me, you might want to brush that off. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And I thought it was uh, nice to bring up the gallery test because it's, in the news lately, it's a new. It's it's not an FDA approved cancer screening test, but it is a new technology that I think is going to get more press and potentially in the future be utilized by practitioners. And I wanted to talk about what that is. And this is similar or the same as to what I'm in. Last year we had mm-hmm. um, Jeff Newman on. Um, he right. was talking about insurance, and part of one of the things he was mentioning was this: is this the same test or similar? Same test, yes. So uh, the company called Grail makes this gallery test, which is um, a multi-cancer early detection test, and it's uh, used and they're promoting it for use in patients above the age of 50 to use as a supplement to regular cancer screening that's age-appropriate. So it it is not FDA approved, but it's available under the CLIA waiver because it is a central lab test. So providers can order it 
um, but the FDA has not approved it. Uh, I don't think any um, organization in medicine has really supported the use yet, that, at least nothing I've come across yet. Uh, but what I did in, in this lecture was talk a little bit about what it is and um, the advantages and disadvantages of it. I, I think it's got both some advantages, some disadvantages. Um, and I don't think it's ready for prime time in terms of from a clinician standpoint. But um, as Jeff said, you know, insurance companies are starting to offer it. Um, so patients... Uh, how it works is it's a blood test and it's a blood test that detects cell-free DNA. Um, and so what, what it's looking for is uh, fragments of cell-free DNA and they have this special technology to look at um, methylation patterns in the cell-free DNA to detect cancer. And they've done or have a large database where they can analyze someone's blood and depending on the methylation pattern which methylation pattern means how how the genes are being regulated in the dna um there's certain patterns to the way certain genes are turned on and certain genes are turned off and they can they've established a database to say with this pattern it's consistent with this type of cancer or not you know and so when they get a patient's blood sample collected you know uh, and sent to the uh, to the company for analysis, you'll get a um, a result. And I think it takes I forget if they said it takes about two weeks or so to get back, but um, you get a result that says either um, a signal's been detected or a signal has not been detected, and and that would mean a cancer signal. And sometimes they're able to say whether that cancer signal is coming from a certain area in the body, like breast cancer or prostate cancer or, or et cetera. So one of the feasibility studies um, for the test, they called it a CCGA study. Uh, it was prospect, prospective multi-center. They took 15,000 participants um, with some with cancer and some without, and they, they ran the test on those individuals. Um, the sensitivity for picking up on cancer. So um, in patients with cancer, how good was it at having a positive test if you if you know the patient has cancer? 51%. So that was the sensitivity of the test. And then the specificity for patients who don't have cancer, how often was the test negative? 99.5%. So it was highly specific, um, not very sensitive. One of the uh, critiques that I made looking at the data is two of the most common cancers, prostate in men, breast in women, had the lowest sensitivities. <laughs> so you look at, you know, you say if we're going to use this as a let's screen everyone with this test, it's not picking up on the two most common types of cancer. I think prostate cancer was sensitivity of 11% and breast cancer was a sensitivity of 30%. Did they talk about like the negative predictive value of the tests or anything like that? Yeah, so I have that in another slide Sorry. here. No, no. Good question. If I can get my slides. Because I think that would be, you know, where I would yeah. see the utility in it. You have a negative test, how confident can yeah. you feel versus... I think I have positive predictive values. So, so 
the Pathfinder study was the the next study that the most recent study that got reported, and this was presented at ESMO, which is the European uh, Society of Medical Oncology, the big conference that gets uh, a lot of traction in Europe, and, and a lot of people from the U.S. go to this conference. And so they reported um, this was their first study where they took participants over the age of 50 who are at an elevated risk and non-elevated risk of cancer, and they determined elevated and not elevated by like smoking history, prior cancer, genetic uh, predisposition, et cetera. And, and they ran the test on those individuals. And so their positive predictive value, uh, meaning a positive test, means that the patient has cancer. You know, were they able to confirm cancer in a patient with a positive test? 45% positive predictive value. I didn't see a negative predictive value. Um, just to give you some numbers, so out of s over 6,000 participants, cancer signal was detected, and these are patients with no known cancer. S cancer signal was detected in 1.4% of them. So I, probably, I mean, probably what you predict, I guess, you know, yeah. I, I don't know statistically. Wasn't unduly high. Right. Um, <clears throat> Close to half of them were stage one and stage two diagnoses, you know, out of the cancers that they detected. There were 35 cancer diagnoses, and almost half of them were early stage. In any of these tests, did they attempt to, was it stratify based on, you know, other known covariates of, you know, oncogenesis, mm. you know, smoking, HPV status, age, things like that? In terms of the the positive predictive value, or like like air, when they're screw when they're screening yeah. these tests, you know, did was there any I guess thought to you know because obviously if you have a higher risk population, mm -hmm. those numbers are probably going to be different. Yeah, it's probably broke down. So I I couldn't get the whole um, study. Um, I think it was just the access to the trial. And I, I'm not sure if it was. I think I just didn't have the whole access to the paper where they actually listed those covariants. Um, what I read with the abstract and what, what was a press release in ESMO, that I didn't have that information. But I'm sure they do. Just curious. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure in the higher risk, that, that cancer signal was a higher percentage in the higher risk. You assume that. Um, the What I saw as challenges with this test, and this is the gallery test, um, relatively low sensitivity, relative low sensitivity for early stage cancers. So they did break that down in the feasibility study to where, um, how sensitive was it at picking up, uh, like how, so a patient with early stage of esophageal cancer, and you know they have esophageal cancer, how likely is it to be uh, a positive signal in that case? 12%, you know? So you're talking right. early stage, not very good at picking up on um, early stage disease. Most of the stage four diagnoses had uh, 85 or above percent chance of having a positive signal on the test. So better at picking up on later stage disease, probably because you have more cell-free DNA or, or tumor DNA circulating around. Um, so low sensitivity for early stage. I saw, uh, even though the sensitivity was high, there's still, if you look at the whole population, if you were, they kind of talked about this in one of the papers I read, if you screen the entire U.S. population, even with the relative high sensitivity, you'd have a million people with false positive results. Right. 
So if you're using it ubiquitously in the whole U.S., it's still a high right. false positive rate. What's the cost of this? About a thousand dollars a test. So that's that's the other question. At a thousand dollars, are you doing it every year? Are you doing it well, was, you know, yeah, every few next, years? You know, what does the company recommend? <laughs> <laughs> they recommend to do it as a as a supplement to other screenings. So they don't they don't recommend a, no a time, certain there's no time interval. Uh, time interval, yeah. So. Yeah, so the question is, I mean, I don't think it's ready for really any physician to order this test. Um, you know, I think if um, it would be interesting, though, if if you have a patient who is at high risk and maybe you get a, a CT scan of the lungs because they meet screening criteria and there's a nodule, like, you know, so actually... would, would you have a positive signal on this test that... You know, we would most often be getting biopsies. Yeah, those I think there's actually other. Pro I don't. Yeah. There's other products out there. I think that. Are oh, there's many other companies. Yeah. So Exact are, Sciences are coming out with something like they're this. They're looking at a this for other. that exact situation where mm -hmm. you know we run into this all the time. You have a lung nodule. You follow it. It grows. It's got a right. bunch of characteristics of cancer. Right. Patient either can't get a biopsy or doesn't want a biopsy. Mm -hmm. You know, can you make treatment decisions based on these type of peripheral blood yeah. tests? I mean, I think that that is a very an area where I feel like it could there could be some, you know, utility. Yeah, where I, I think where imaging is is suggestive, and then you may might not be able to safely diagnose it based on right. biopsy. Yeah, I, I do worry about things like this though, where you just kind of like you already kind of alluded to, blanketly shotgun them to every person right. in the United States. You know, I just feel like you would end up with probably the extra anxiety and procedures and risks of those procedures that so many more patients would have to go to it would be hard for me to believe that would be less than maybe the potential benefit of catching mm -hmm. you know a treatable early stage cancer i don't i don't right know. just would be it would have to be a lot of math for that to make sense but yeah definitely I, promising in, it, in, in a theoretical sense it's tough too because you know it, it seems like insurance companies are are already offering this um and so you you get a patient with a positive signal and then you order a bunch of imaging and it shows nothing. <laughs> and then, right. You know, it, it ultimately is going to lead to more imaging because that patient's going to be anxious and well, it's just not showing. I got to scan you again in three months, six months, 12 months, you know? So it's, it's leading to a lot of testing for sure. And, and positive predictive value, you positive signal detects cancer about 40, 45% of the time, you know, it's not not great, so. So, but you know, I think it's interesting. An interesting I mean, I test. It'll be as these different products come out. You mm -hmm. know, how they, I think how they study it and how they market it will be very interesting to watch. Yeah, and it's not. I actually, I, I think the the cost is actually nine hundred forty nine dollars, not a thousand. But um, I was a little that, surprised they didn't charge that's more a, than that's that. That's lower than I would have guessed. Yeah, right. Because NGS testing, which is when we know a patient has cancer and say we're trying to make treatment decisions based on the genetics of the cancer, um, when we send out to different companies for that analysis, it's, it's I think insurances get charged a few thousand dollars at least for that testing. So this is relatively nice. inexpensive compared to that. But it just depends on... How often do you need to send this test? Do you even need to send the test? You know, I, I am not in favor of doing it yet. I think there could be scenarios in the future. 
um, where you could use this testing in a patient who you strongly suggest or suspect that there might be a cancer somewhere um, to use it as you know maybe a confirmation test. But I think their I think their technology will get better because really they're using probably you know some AI and like looking at the um, all these methylation profiles. So they're they're using a lot of data to come up with what's a positive cancer signal and what's not. And I feel like that could only get better with time, you right. know, with, with them having more information. So I think that picking up on cancer signals in more individuals will get better with time with this technology. It's just not there yet, I don't think. Well, I wish you would have told me that you did a speech or presentation I sooner. I could have. She could have been there and helped you I could marketing. advertise it on social media and stuff. Uh, yeah. Come on, man. But not everyone can be at the exchange club. You have to be a member. Or you have to be a guest of someone. What's my ignorant... What, excuse my... What is the exchange club? They're... Um, <laughs> I honestly have no idea. So I think there are exchange clubs in, in It's many... one of those if you have to ask, you know. I'm yeah. sure I'm not cool enough to... No, no. They're, they're all about community service and serving the community. So I think they have a lot of um, community outreach where they have different programs that they set up for like volunteer programs and so they, just they like help the out business with leaders or like you... yeah a variety of business leaders m people with military background like got it you know it's like a rotary club kind of yeah i think ish. so i think so i don't want to say that if it's not true but yeah it's sort know. of yeah, sort of like that um Let's look exchange yeah Let's see but what a, dr google says but basically yeah, a group of professionals who are a group of men and women working to make Jacksonville, in this particular case, mm -hmm. a better place to live through through community service projects, right. et cetera. So, yeah, makes sense. They give um, weekly guest speakers. Like when I was there giving the talk, they gave a couple scholarships to a couple high school students, oh, cool. um, which they do every year. So, yeah, so it's a good, good club. Very cool. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Very interesting. And I got. To go to Ruth's Chris and have a steak there you as go. a result. Of, okay, uh, now we're talking. <laughs> so you were bribed with food. Nice. <laughs> bribed with food and, and my patient who I like and respect a lot. So. Right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. Again, apologies for the long hiatus, but hopefully we'll be back to more regular episodes like last year. We'll definitely be back, Rick. We're excited about 2023.